0: I'm not a happy child. I don't know why. I have parents. I live in a house in Roscommon. I even have a cat, Smokey. Apart from one time when I got lost at the Laxy Wheel on the Isle of Man for eight minutes, nothing bad has ever happened to me. But I worry about the world ending, starting in Roscommon about giant meteorite balls of fire hurtling from the sky, about Nostradamus predictions and the third secret of Fatima. Regular kid stuff, I suppose. I'm sure that my family will all die in horrific circumstances unless I complete novenas to various saints on the promise that they won't. Mostly I worry about disappointing my parents, especially my dad. He used to be in a show band. The Hawaiians... He played the saxophone. It's amazing. He keeps it in a velvet case. They toured internationally, all over England. They even had their own postcards. Then he gave it all up to have a family and deliver biscuits. I have no talent. In school, everyone knows what they're going to do when they grow up. I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a chemical engineer. Great. Now, let's open our catechism books on page three. Oh. Mrs. Kelly, you never asked me. All right, Susan. No, Sharon. Wh- who? Sharon Mannion. Of course. And what would you like to be? I don't know. Well, when you think of the future, what does it look like? I don't want to freak her out by telling her about the balls of fire ripping through Boyle and Casselery. So instead, I say, I don't have a future. Well, you like football. What about that? I'm too short. Running too slow. Knitting too thummy. She gives up. She knows as well as I do that I'm boring and useless at everything. I spend my evenings after school wandering around the house, opening and closing drawers, making sure to not touch the good scissors and to make no noise while the news is on. There's an old tin whistle that lives in the drawer beneath the window. It's nestled between old rolls of camera film and 17 hairbrushes. The day after my 11th birthday, ma'am obviously feels I've matured somewhat, Because when I take it out to look at it, she says she'll show me how to play. Come on, love, watch me here. I stare intently at her fingers as she plays a jig before passing it to me. Play that again, Sharon. Sean! Oh, my God! I'm good at this! I don't even need notes. I can play by ear. A tune comes on the radio. I have it down in under six minutes. Mam wheels me out whenever an aunt or uncle comes within a five-mile radius of the house. Bring out Sharon. She can play anything. Neighbours that I've barely met become my biggest fans. Sharon, you're fabulous. I wish mine were more like you. Mad into the books there. They'll end up as librarians or scientists. But not you, Sharon. No way. With fingers like that, the world is your oyster. My parents are thrilled. I've found my talent. Dad, in particular, gets a kick out of it. Oh, I see you're playing that thing now. He's so impressed. I'm high on the attention. I haven't thought about the end of the world in four days. I play the tin whistle everywhere I go. I even perform in shows. Old folks' Christmas functions, the Good Friday celebrations at mass. You name it, I play it. I can't believe my look. This tube of metal has changed my life. Everywhere I go, people think I'm great. Genetics haven't failed me. I have found my saxophone. I can't shake this funny feeling in my tummy. I think it's self-esteem. On Stevens Day, me and Claire Lyons go out in the Wren Boys, annual busking for country children. Bells, we stride by other kids jangling their money boxes. Amateurs. I play a few hornpipes and we make 20 quid each. I run to show Dad. As a fellow professional musician, he's sure to be impressed. Dad, Daddy. Shh, Jordan. I'm listening to the radio. But Dad ah, be quiet, will you? Daddy! Sharon, please. God, isn't that the most beautiful sound? Have you ever heard anything like it? I haven't. It's magnificent. Dad is lost in glorious abandonment. I can't tell what the noise is coming from. A mouth organ? A keyboard? A human? The sun shines brighter through the curtains, casts a beam of light on our faces. For a moment we're somewhere else. And that, of course, was the wonderful Sharon Shannon on the button accordion. The button accordion. I want one. Did she say Sharon Mannion? Now there's an instrument that you don't hear every day. My tin whistle feels heavy in my hand. I lie awake all night. The whistle has been good to me, but it's child's play. I'm destined for bigger things. That Sunday night, I'm up later than I should be. I'm in the kitchen, Dad's in the sitting room, but he hasn't made a noise in a while. I start to worry he might have had a heart attack. I hope he's still alive. I creep around the sitting room door. He's watching one of his documentaries, set in the wilds of Connemara. They visit a pub there's that sound again and there she is Sharon Shannon and her button accordion, shining reddy brown and glistening under the lights Sharon herself wears a broad smile throughout the performance everyone around her smiles too even the accordion they look like best friends I could be famous just like her my name is the same amount of syllables the odds are in my favour did she just wink at me? can she see me? My mind is made up. Please, can I have an accordion, ma'am? No, Sharon, you wouldn't be able for it. She knows I'm losing the run of myself and is keen to keep me grounded. She does this a lot. When my cat Smokey is knocked down by the van, her way of telling me is to pull me to one side and say, Uh, There's something on the road you should go and have a look at. But I just won't let up. It's just a phase. No, ma'am, I really want one. What's put this in your head? I've seen them. They're cool. They're expensive. I'll practice every day. You'll get sick of it. I won't, ma'am. I'll play it forever. I know things are serious when Dad calls to my room. He hasn't done that since the Waterford Crystal incident. I want to show you something, Sharon. (gasps) The saxophone! That saxophone has been one of my best friends over the years. Has never let me down. I bought it when I was 16 and you know why it's still in such good shape? Because you've only played one gig in about 10 years? No, Sharon. It's because I take care of it. And if you get an accordion, that's what you'll need to do. You'll need to practice every day and you'll have to stick with it even if it gets tough. I will, daddy. I will practice every day and I will stick with it. I promise. All right then. It arrives. On a cold, wet Wednesday evening, during the largest thunderstorm that Roscommon has ever seen. From where? I don't know, I daren't ask. Maybe from Sharon Shannon. Ma'am is thrilled. It's the only one the village has ever seen. Come in, come in. Isn't it fierce, shiny? <gasps> yes, Margaret, it's bigger than I thought it would be too. Sheila, you did not need to bring a gift. <gasps> Father McManus, you're very good to come. Uh, may the Lord bless this box and all who squeeze it. I'm nervous but excited. I take it to my room. I want to push the buttons without everyone looking at me. I carefully place my arms inside the straps. It feels great. Wow, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever owned. I promise to always take care of you. I'm going to call you Frank. Is that okay? You and I will never part. It could be the howling wind rattling the windows, but I hear a voice say, Never! I insist on bringing him to school, making sure to keep him secure in a comfortable padded case. None of my friends have ever seen a button accordion in real life before. They're impressed. I can tell because they behave the same way around him as they do around that boy from Pakistan that joined our school. Where did he come from? He's a funny color. Can I touch him? Some of the girls follow me around the yard and are copying how I dress. It's no mean feat considering we wear a uniform. Frank and I go everywhere together. Every morning, I take him to the park before school, give him a bit of fresh air. And I thought they'd never find me. I mean, the Laxey Wheel is the top tourist attraction on the island. I never told them, but I cried for the entire eight minutes I was gone. Oh, I was such a mess back then. You're such a good listener. I can really talk to you, Frank. We're going to be big stars. Bigger than Sharon Shannon. It doesn't matter that I can only play scales. Everywhere I go, people are dazzled by this shiny red object and I bask in its glory. My parents are looking at me differently. They're thinking about who they'd like to bring to be in the audience of my first Late Late Show appearance and they're praying Granny Mannion lives to see it. Stephen's Day comes around, with the accordion under my arm. Me and Claire Lyons make four times what we made last year. We drive the local economy into a recession for a week. I've lost some puppy weight. I feel good about myself. I'm invited to all the birthday parties in school and I'm the most popular member of the extended family. I'm mastering the Kerry Polka one Friday afternoon in January when Mam shouts up the hall. You know, Sharon, the Riadori competitions are coming around. You should enter with your accordion. The Riadori competitions are the X Factor of Roscommon. This could be my big break, my ticket to the top, I don't even have to think about it. I will, ma'am, I say, and I mean it. If I'm serious about stealing Sharon Shannon's career, this is my first step. In the weeks that follow, I practise as much as I can. I'm feeling good. I've got this. I mean, everyone loves the accordion. I wouldn't even have to play it. I could just hold it up in the air and we'd still win. The night arrives. Dr Hyde Park, GAA Centre, Roscommon. Riadori Talent Competition Regional Finals. The hall is packed. Word has spread that that Sharon Mannion girl can play. My parents have tickets for the front row. I'm to perform the Kerry Polka in the Solo Musician category. I've practised the tune over and over in my head. I know it inside out. The MC calls my name. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to put your hands together... And welcome a lovely girl here tonight, Shannon Madden, and she'll be doing the Cape and the Melodian. Sammy here, Cladden. And on I go. A hush descends. I take a deep breath. Rest my fingers over the first keys I need to play. Nothing for it now, but get the tune in my mind and begin. But the tune doesn't come. I search for it frantically in my head. It has to be there somewhere. I've played it 500 times in the last hour alone. What's going on? This never happened with the tin whistle. I have an out-of-body experience as my floating self shoots around, desperately opening and closing imaginary filing cabinets, looking for the tune and roaring at my on-stage self. It has to be here somewhere. Twinkle, twinkle, now, the wind that shakes the barley, that's a real. Will you play something, anything, go on, everyone's looking at you. The audience shuffle in their seats. Was that a snigger from the back? Come on, Frank, work with me here. Why are you doing this to me? I thought I said it in my head. Oh, she's crying back. A ripple of laughter begins. Father McManus blesses himself. Claire Lyons has her mouth wide open. Waves of laughter. I look to my dad for help. He's bent over. His face is all red. Is he having a heart attack? People are crying, hyperventilating, gasping for air. I have to do something. In the end, I manage a and walk off (laughs) the laughter continues for a good five minutes for the rest of the evening audience members pat me on the back and tell me I'm great crack I'm a joke my life is over I don't speak during the car journey home I don't know what to say Mam's telling me how funny I am show your gas Sharon (laughs) oh stop (laughs) You're born for the stage. (laughs) (laughs) That night, I dream of giant accordions on fire, hurtling through the sky at great speeds, hitting and destroying everyone and everything I've ever loved. And you, Frank, there, smirking. I wake up in a cold sweat. Over the next few years, things change. Oh, you're subtle at first. You make more mistakes than normal when I play you. You make me forget tunes, even simple ones. Start tripping me up with your strap in front of people. I moved to secondary school in Castlereagh. The girls there don't think the accordion is cool. You start to rattle, like as if one of your buttons has fallen out and is rolling around inside you. I'm worrying about the end of the world again. You've conspired with ma'am, gotten to her head made her book me into accordion lessons every Sunday with Paddy Keough. Paddy is as Irish as begrudgery, sideways rain and the ability to be late for everything. A well-known traditional musician, he has his own show on local radio nestled between the news and the death notices. Mam is a big fan. Thanks for having us, Paddy. I know you're nearly fully booked. Oh, sure. <laughs> it can always make space for one more. Oh <laughs> your <laughs> well, <I can> guess <laughs> She giggles more than normal around him. If a potato could talk, it'd sound like Paddy. I don't even know why I'm here. You need these lessons way more than I do, Frank. I show Paddy my scales, but they don't flow as easy as they do in my room. He sends me home with instructions to learn twinkle, twinkle and fawn your lay. But it's not easy to get in the practice when you're pulling against me. Potato Head has given me more and more tunes to learn. The minstrel boy, the fields of Athenry, the theme tune to the Sunday game. I'm practising like crazy but they won't go in my palms are sweating so much I can't make it through a full tune without my fingers slipping off the buttons other things go wrong too you really start to dial things up a notch Frank ma'am finds cigarettes in my jacket pocket which jacket? rain jacket last worn the day before at accordion practice coincidence Frank my brother gets suspended from school for mitching It's never happened before. When my replacement cat Gizmo dies suddenly, I have to put an end to this. I talk to ma'am. Are you pregnant? No, I just want to talk to you. Oh, you're pregnant, aren't you? I'm not, I'm not. Sit down. Oh my God, you're gay. Oh, that's it, isn't it? I knew you were gay. I always kind of had a feeling you were gay. You're gay, but it's okay to be gay. I know that, ma'am, but I'm not gay. All right, all right. If you're not ready to tell me, what is it? I don't want to play the accordion any more. Why? I don't enjoy it. Ah, Sharon, life is not all about enjoying yourself. Jesus, we'd all love to be going around the place enjoying ourselves the whole time. It doesn't work that way. And anyway, you can't give up now. Your father's arranged for you to play with the Ryans every Tuesday. It'll be marvellous. The Ryans are the creme de la creme of the local music scene. They're kind of like the Coors, except with less Andreas and more Jims. There's Josephine, Patrick and Patrick. Josephine has a ponytail down to her arse, which is always a red flag. They're three of the biggest freaks in the village. If the girls in school find out I'm hanging around with them, I'll never get invited to the basketball courts again. Two of them of the same name, for Christ's sake. How could ma'am think this was a good idea? I want to scream no. I want to tell her that Frank is impossible, that weird things happen when he's around, that he makes it difficult to play the music, that he's making my hands sweat so much I'm convinced there's something wrong with my glands. Josephine, Patrick, Patrick and myself sit quietly in the corner while our mother sup tea at the table. Play it again, they holler every now and again, and we dutifully oblige. We don't speak, there's nothing to say. The Ryan's front room is blue, all of it, the walls, the ceiling, the carpets, the cushions, the lampshades, Patrick's face as he plays the flute. This goes on for twelve months, twelve long months. Every Tuesday, 7 to 9pm. That's 104 hours. Bar the odd holy day when we leave it. Things go from bad to worse with Frank. We barely speak anymore. He's starting to scare me. One night on the way home from the Ryans, we're coming in the driveway when Mam loses control of the car and crashes. Into the house. Our own house. Not an unexpected obstacle. Not something that appears out of the blue. The house. Now I know it took her seven attempts to pass her driving test, but that shit isn't right. In the shock, she hits her head off the steering wheel. I graze my knee off the dashboard. Frank comes out without as much as a scratch on him. Two weeks later, we have a chimney fire. Oh, I'm not saying you started it, but you were the only one left in the sitting room that night. The following Tuesday, I'm back in the Rhine staring at the blue when Josephine comes out from behind her hair to speak. Could I have a go of your in Sharon? She thinks she can do better than me. She thinks I play bad because it's my fault. She has no idea what I've been dealing with. Well, be my guest. You'll see what a manipulative, dangerous heap of junkie is. I hand Frank over, then take a step back. I don't know what he's capable of. But what's this? The Bally Desmond Polka. Flawless. No squeaking. No fingers slipping off buttons. She even manages to look us in the eye the entire time she plays. And smile. Just like Sharon Shannon. Frank! How could you? Traitor! I go to Dad. He's out front watching the rain. Dad, did you ever feel like your saxophone didn't love you? Did, did you ever feel that getting together was a bad idea? Did you ever feel that he was out to get you? Where did my accordion even come from? You must have noticed that bad things keep happening. What kind of bad things? Oh, the fire. Uh, gizmo dying. Don't you remember the Ria Dori competition? Oh, I do. <laughs> You're <a> great crack. <laughs> Haven't you been getting an awful lot of headaches these days and, and your business has been going downhill since he arrived? It's all right. Frank! Wake up, Dad. It's all his fault. Whose fault? Frank! Oh, Frank! Yes, Frank the accordion! (laughs) Frank the accordion. Oh, 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 brilliant. Oh, you really should be on the stage. (laughs) He leaves me with no choice. It's bin day. I set my alarm to get up earlier than everyone else. Wrap Frank carefully in three layers of refuse sacks. It's still dark when I creep out to the front gate and drop him in the wheelie bin. I stand at the sitting room window for two hours. I don't want to miss this. At 8.30 they arrive. They load the bin onto the back of the truck. I wait for the crunch. Why have they stopped? Shouldn't they be driving off by now? One of the bags has split open. Just just take it with you. The driver is out. He's walking towards me. What's that he has in his hand? I should have known it wouldn't be that simple. I find my next opportunity three weeks later. It's silage season. Tractors file past every five minutes. They have three days to get everything cut and baled. They'd drive over their own granny if she got in their way. I watch the road for six hours straight and choose my spot carefully, right at the entrance gate to the main field. I assume my position on the front wall. A stream of machinery is en route. One of them is bound to crush him. The first tractor approaches, swerves, hits the second, who ricochets off the third. A three-tractor pile-up, and you, Frank sitting perfectly still with all the farmers rushing around you to make sure you're okay. That night, I climbed to the top of the post office, the tallest building in the village, two and a half storeys down. Nothing could survive that. The wind is fierce. I better make this quick. My fingers are slipping, Frank! My fingers are slipping! Just as I release, his strap gets caught around my neck. I lose my balance so that my head and shoulders dangle over the edge. I can either use my arms to finish the job or to shuffle myself back to safety. I'm a coward. I choose to live. Just as I'm gathering myself to go again, I see I'm not alone. Father McManus has joined me on the roof. Sharon! I'm worried about you. Come down! I try five more times over the following week before I give up. You win, Frank. You win. You can't be destroyed. You're a curse. We used to be so close. Where did it all go wrong? I hate you. You're bitter and twisted. You're going to end up one lonely little box when you'll have no one to blame but yourself. I shove him as far as I can underneath my bed. My first big breakup. Maybe I said some things I didn't mean. I mope around, forget to wash my hair for a few years, watch every weepy movie I can find in the house. I listen to The Love Zone on Atlantic 252 a lot, start eating fig rolls by the packet, put on a bit of weight, cry every time Foster and Alan appear on TV. I can feel my parents looking at me differently. Disappointed. I can't believe I let Frank do this to me. To them. I promise myself. I'll never get that close to anyone again. In school, the leaving cert is now hurtling towards us and all the talk is about points and CAO forms and where you're going to go. I fly under the radar, but eventually they find my name on a list somewhere and I have a compulsory meeting scheduled with the guidance counsellor, Miss Quinn. So, Sharon, what do you think you'd like to do when you leave? Oh, God. Quick, say something. Flashbacks to national school. I want to be a vet. Oh, shut up, Paul. I want to be an architect. Oh, stop it on you. I want to be a girl, eh? Shove it up your whole Finton. The tin whistle, the Ryans, my whole life flashes before my eyes. The Ria competition, the car journey home, the silence, my father. Oh, Sharon, you you were born for the stage. Born for the stage. Born for the stage. Born for the... I want to be an actor. Have you thought about nursing? I mean, what's put acting into your head? I mean, I know you're musical. Don't you play that button accordion? No, I don't. We broke up. I want to be an actor now. OK, then. Let's see. Drama, drama, drama. Oh, oh, there's a drama course in Inchicore. Three weeks later, I'm in Dublin. I have my audition with the campest man I've ever seen in real life. Come in, come in. Uh, Sharon Manion, isn't it? Why don't you tell me what you'll be auditioning with? Um, I'm going to do a piece from The Field. The character of the Bull McCabe. The Bull McCabe. And why the bull? I don't want to admit it's from the only play I've ever heard of, so instead I say, I suppose I just really like cows. OK. When you're ready... <clears throat> "'Tis my field. It's my child. "'I nursed it. I nourished it. "'I saw to it its every want. "'I dug the rocks out of it with me bare hands "'and I made a living thing of it. "'My only want is that green grass, "'that lovely green grass, "'and you want to take it away from me? "'And in the sight of God, I can't let you do that!' "'Hmm. Interesting.' "'Interesting?' That's never good. It's a disaster. That's that then. What was I thinking? I return home to Castlereagh and begin the hard slog of walking one end of the town to the other, handing in CVs and asking, Is there anything going? It's around this time that openings come up in the local chicken factory. I go to the interview and I'm hired immediately. Chicken factory worker. This is who I am. Miss Quinn was right. This is where I belong. I should have known to set my sights a little lower. Time passes. My knife hand seizes into the shape of a claw. I blame Frank for my career troubles. For all of them. I try moving him to different parts of the house, see if it makes any difference. Out in the back kitchen, beside the washing machine, behind the TV. It's no good. He's like one of those Sacred Heart pictures where the eyes follow you around the room. I need to get further away from him. I've de-chickened myself with a quick shower one evening when ma'am shouts up the hall. There was post for you this morning. Post? Nobody's written to me since my cousin went to Blackpool in 1993. My rejection letter. Just throw it in the bin, ma'am. I know what that is. Ah, Sharon, you can't throw good post in the bin. I can hear her shuffling with it as she marches up the hall, tearing and unfolding paper, and then... Sharon! I told you, just throw it in the bin. The door flings open. Sharon, you're in. What? I grab the contents from her hands, glance at the letterhead, in chicor. This can't be real. Stuff like this doesn't happen to me. We are pleased to inform you. In. I haven't got to the it end of the sentence in. before our ma'am our has called dad in <gasps> <gasps> and arranged an impromptu gathering, gathering for the, the neighbours. <gasps> Father McManus, you might give her a travel blessing. I bless this traveller, May St Christopher and the Holy Child protect. My dad can barely contain himself. Uh, Dublin isn't the worst spot. He's delirious. I can hardly believe it. When they all launch into our rendition of bool of vogue I steal away and reach my arm in under my bed. Frank, we stare at each other. I'm leaving. He doesn't react. He knows there's nothing left to say. I pack him with seven layers of masking tape and mark the box. Not to be opened until my death. Dublin is loud. There's lots of people and there's way more post offices than I'm used to. Day one of college arrives. I get my first glimpse of my course mates at 10am in the main hall. They're loud and pretty. Especially the boys. Full of self-esteem, like Americans. But they're not. They're all from Dublin. I'm the first Kulji that any of them have ever seen up close, so they're intrigued by me. I feel like Frank must have felt all those years ago when I brought him to school. Our first class is mime. I couldn't feel further from Roscommon if I tried. We find out our teacher used to be a morbag. Wow. She's doing a good cop, bad cop routine without the good cop. She seems to hate us, herself and the art of mime. It's confusing. She puts us in a circle and begins by showing us how to be trapped in a box. I start to feel claustrophobic. I look around. What's everyone else thinking? I meet the bright blue-eyed gaze of one of the quieter fellows. He smiles. At least, I think it's a smile. He's got one of those faces that looks grumpy all the time. It's hard to tell. Morbeg is reminding us to breathe. It's amazing the stuff you forget. She's telling us where we should be putting our tongues when the quiet fellow with the grumpy face releases a significant yawn. Morbeg isn't happy. She launches at him. Am I boring you, John? No. Then why did you yawn, John? I suppose my body needed oxygen. I like this guy. But he doesn't come back after lunch. It's a shame. We could do with more people like him around here. I carry on, having theatrical classes in things like stagecraft, movement to music and computers. After three years of that, I'm a trained actor. I get my first job immediately in a call centre in Ballymount, answering queries to the Dunstor's Club Card helpline. It's dull work. So much so that we fight over who gets to speak to Jimmy the pervert who rings every afternoon at two without fail and wants you to say, Big fat arse! Really slowly. One quiet Tuesday, I somehow secure an audition with the Abbey Theatre. This could be my big break. I quit! I yell to my supervisor as I head straight for the door. A mouse hides in my coat and runs up my back as I get dressed to leave. I like to think he's chasing his dreams too. Keen to impress at the audition, I pull out my Bull McCabe routine. You want to take it away from me and in the sight of God, I can't let you do that! They laugh. They're not supposed to laugh. Why does that keep happening? I lick my wounds by heading for a pint next door. It's downstairs, dark and dingy. Red paint peels from the walls and the place is full of old photos of 70s musicians I barely recognise. A stand-up comedy show begins. The place fills with weirdos, oddballs and people who look like they have severe emotional trauma. I feel right at home. I join a table. Tell them about Roscommon and my giant meteorite balls of fire dreams. They want to hear more. These are my kind of people. I'm halfway through telling them about the Abbey and how oh, they weren't so keen on the Bull Mccabe when they say. You should get up there, Sharon. Me? Up there? Oh, God, no. There's no way I'm doing that. I'm a trained actor. Haven't you been listening? No, no way. Not a chance. Two pints later, I'm under the lights, talking about Smokey and how my brother ran over him in a van. Everyone's laughing. I'm laughing. This feels good. I'm on a high for the rest of the night. A friend of a friend has joined our table. I spot him immediately because he's wearing shorts. It's November. I'm struck by his face. He looks grumpy, but he's friendly and nice when we chat. He's got long, greasy hair, a beard, big, bright eyes and his keys hang from a small stuffed teddy on his waistband. When he yawns, it clicks. John? Mime John? We chat for the rest of the night. I've been to America six times, you know. I love lattes. You know, shame for boys on, yeah? He grew up beside me. The head family of the real IRA lives on my road. He's very cosmopolitan. Over the following weeks, we bump into each other a lot around town. It's possible he's stalking me, but I don't care. I feel like Scarlet and gone with the wind. We're doing everything together. I feel good. What's happening to me? All the things that used to get me down seem funny now. I'm a bit fat. So what? I'm afraid to go on a roller coaster. Who cares? The world is going to end. Bring it on. Ma'am comes up for a visit one bright summer's day in June. I've been putting it off, but she insists on meeting John, so we arrange to have lunch in the tea rooms at Cleary's. He shows up wearing significantly longer pants than usual, presents her with a huge bunch of chrysanthemums and refers to her as Mrs. Mannion. Even still, it seems to go well. I've been to America six times, you know. Have you? I love lattes. Ooh. She covers her nerves by bombarding him with information. I bought a lovely new set of garden furniture in Woodies. Oh, oh well, it's the most comfortable thing I have ever bought. My satin Sean, we just can't stop sitting in it. When he goes to the bathroom, I'm keen to hear what she thinks. So, you like him, don't you? Oh, yes, yes. But is he OK? Did he get a bit of bad news? Does he not like a sandwich? He's having a great time. But... His face. I know. We say our goodbyes to John and he heads off. I can tell ma'am approves because both the volume and speed of her speech have increased in intensity. We're finally painting that front room, Sharon. Well, what with the stations coming up, you know yourself. Now, I went straight to your flat and dropped off my bags. I hope that's okay. So handy to have a spare key. (laughs) Yes, I did a bit of a clear out, brought up a few bits I thought you might have been missing. (laughs) a fierce amount of stuff in the back of that wardrobe. God, i did an awful job unwrapping some of it. Where did you get all that masking tape? The wardrobe? A clear-out? A clear-out of the wardrobe? Yes, yes, a clear-out. Mm. There's no sense leaving those things in Common, Sharon. Sharon? Sharon, where are you going? I walk outside. The weather has worsened. Clouds thicken. The sky darkens. Pelting, pelting rain. A thunderstorm. I haven't seen one like it since... Since, since, I need to get home. I quicken my pace. A shiver rolls up my spine. Something's not right. As I pass the entrance to my estate, a speeding car skims past me. I reach the flat. My new housemate is in the kitchen. She's wailing. Her boyfriend has dumped her out of the blue. This can't be happening. I edge up the stairs. They creak. They've never creaked before. As I open the door to my bedroom... My stomach sinks. No. No. It can't be. Right there, on the centre of the bed. Frank. What the hell are you doing here? (gasps) Mam's told you about John, hasn't she? You couldn't let me get on with my life. I should have known you'd turn up here, just when things were starting to go well for me. What did you think would happen? That you'd appear and everything would be great? Stay away from us, Frank. You might be able to wrap Mam around your little finger, but not me. Not anymore. This isn't over. I won't let you ruin everything for me. I won't let you hurt me. I won't go back there. I shove him as far as I can to the back of the wardrobe. Over the next few weeks I'm a nervous wreck, waiting for some catastrophe to happen. John started to notice that I can't sit still, and then he's combing his beard in the wardrobe mirror one evening when... Is that an accordion? Oh, sweet Jesus. You never told me you played the accordion. Why would anyone ever admit to that? Would you play something for me? He picks Frank up, (laughs) brings him towards me, He's taken aback. I've never shouted at him before. I've only been nice to him up to this point. I haven't even farted in front of him. Oh, God. He hates me. I ask him to leave. Pack Frank away as I tell him. I need to be on my own. I'll uh, I'll see you later at the comedy. But I never make it. I'm too busy worrying. I worry that we won't last, that he doesn't really love me, that I'm not good at being a girlfriend, that maybe I should end it now before it gets too much me. There's probably something wrong with him anyway. He wants to hang out together all the time. He calls over to the flat the next day, but I can't relax. My palms sweat spontaneously, especially the closer I get to the wardrobe. He changes too. I can see it in his eyes. He's realised I'm a knob. This whole relationship is crumbling down around me like that time I tried to make a gluten-free cake. I should never have let myself get close to him. What was I thinking? That I could be happy? I'm an idiot. It was never going to work. I can't do it. It's not worth it. I know I have to end it. Thanks for coming over. You're probably wondering why things have been strange lately. Eh, uh, I-, I figured it out. There's obviously someone else. Yeah, yeah, there is. I'm sorry. How long has it been going on? Oh, on and off, since I was about twelve. Jesus. Do you love him? Oh, God, no. Oh, no, no. He's horrible to me. You mean abusive? Yes, yes. Very much so. He's dangerous, but I can't escape. The relationship means too much to my parents. Ah, then he's in Roscommon. No, 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 no. He's here, sure. Ma'am brought him up on the train. You met him the other day. Huh? He's in the wardrobe. Are you even paying attention? Sean, are you all right? Am I all right? Am I all right? I tell him everything. <coughs> About the Riadori competition, smoky dying, the chimney fire, ma'am, crashing into the house, the Ryans, my sweaty, sweaty hands. How my life has been cursed from the moment Frank stepped into it when all I ever wanted was to please my parents and smile my way through a hornpipe like Sharon fucking Shannon. He looks upset, but then he always does. Uh, uh, I, I, I have to go away. Oh, I forgot oh, oh, uh, a thing, um, look, why don't you take it easy for a few days, yeah? He leaves so fast he forgets he has two pairs of shorts drying on the rad downstairs. Great. Back here again. I find myself walking to Houston Station, frank on my back as I board the Westport train bound for Castlereagh. I have to go back to where this all began. I think about letting Frank out at Tullamore, but... I barely hear the reminder announcement before Frank and I are battling through the heavy rain and buckling ourselves into Mam's car. You're safe now, Sharon. He can't hurt you here. She has no idea what she's talking about. At home, I can see Dad's in the sitting room. He's settled into one of his documentaries, The Rise of Hitler. I sit with him. I'm struck by the similarities. Stick a moustache on Frank and they could be talking about the same person. God, but that Hitler fellow was an awful yoke. How could people have been taken in by him? Maybe they were cursed. I wonder, was he always evil? I think I know the answer to that. I watch him, engrossed in the TV, wonder what he's thinking. How happy he must have been to have a daughter who played the accordion with a name so close to Sharon Shannon. They could have been the same person. He must have thought this was it. His chance to live the good life again, to fulfil his life's ambition through his child. He never imagined it could turn out like this. I've really let him down. I wasn't cut out to be like you. I thought I said it in my head. I could never be a musician. He barely blinks. Goes back to watching the TV. Oh, God. He's obviously devastated. I I can't bear this. I, I go to leave, but he switches it off. Turns and looks straight at me. Is there something wrong, Sharon? I'm sorry, Dad. What are you sorry for? The accordion. I can't play it. I can't stick with it. We need to part. Oh. Oh, I I see it's stopped raining. Is that all you're going to say? What about the Hawaiians? You gave up your dream to make a life for us. My dream? Ella I only joined the band for something to do. My dream was how I was to sell biscuits. What about your saxophone? I was never mad on that thing. So my fingers used to slip off the buttons when I played. Ma'am has brought in tea. Here you go now. I thought I'd a few fig rolls in the press, but I see there's only crumbs left. Ma'am, you need to hear this too. There's no easy way to say it. Jesus, is this all because you're gay, Sharon? It's okay to be gay. Are you gay? You only have to say so. It's the accordion. I'm leaving it here. In Ruscommon. She doesn't ever want to play it anymore. Is that right, Sean? Well, do you know, probably just as well. She sure, never seemed to enjoy it anyway. But, but life's not about enjoying yourself. I mean, we'd all love to be going around the place and enjoying ourselves the whole time, but it doesn't work that way. Oh, Sharon, that makes no sense. God, you are obsessed with that accordion. Do you not remember? You said you'd play it forever. You brought it to school with you. I always thought you seemed to be tense around it. And I mean, those Ryans were a bit strange. Oh, did Josephine have a ponytail down to her arse? Yes, ma'am. She did. What's that you're watching, child? Yeah, It's just a thing about Hitler. I know, gather you know, the, the, the accordion. It doesn't feel as heavy as it did before. I don't know My finger's a lot less clammy. I take it to my room. It seems brighter. The sun is out. It shines through the curtains, casts a beam of light on my face.